Hey, the music featured in this episode is from Rob Malatek's CD, Back Home. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Musicians Real Talk. I'm your host, Glenn Douglas. Musicians Real Talk is a podcast which serves to provide life stories and information about musicians performing in and around the Washington, Maryland, and Virginia areas. So you understand, musicians, we arrive at the job, we exchange greetings, we perform, we break down, and eventually we go our separate ways. Rarely do we engage in our life stories or share in conceptual devices which contribute to our approach to this thing called music. The Musicians Real Talk podcast aims to fill that void. I'm starting today's podcast off with a quote from Steve Jobs who said, If you really look closely, most overnight successes took a long time. My guest today has been on a 25-year journey that many thought would never see the light of day. He has scratched and clawed his way to where the idea is now a bright light at the end of a tunnel. We'll explore how his journey started in his father's musical instrument repair shop in the heart of Washington, D.C. It is here that he developed a work ethic that has taken him to being a much sought-after basis, to a 40-year career at IBM, and now he wears many hats as a leader for the group Luther Relives. Everyone, welcome to the Musicians Real Talk podcast, Detrinal Boykin. So, Detrinal, how did you get into this thing called music? Music, boy, that's a mouthful. But I owe it to my father. My father, John Boykin, was a musician. He was a tenor sax player, a bass player, and a guitarist. Wow. Wow. I didn't know all that, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he he, he played for uh, uh, many of the jazz greats, uh, but also played the chitlin circuit. And all that led into... Uh, uh, my being around it, my uh, being uh, visible to it, and and even directing what I did and what I didn't do, which maybe we'll have some time to go through later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, who or what would you say were some of your early influences in music? Well, my early earliest influence was, was probably the, the whole Motown scene and particularly Mr. James Jamerson, uh, being the bass player that I am, he really, really impressed me, not only as a, a solid groove player, but a, a couple of the, the side stream things that I, I now know are important. I don't think I knew as much then, but I, I now see why it was a magnet to me. And uh, again, not only was he a fantastic groover, but he was the kind that could play these busy, almost complicated lines, but they stayed right in the pocket seamlessly and magically, number one. Number two, he was famous for doing so many lines that defined the song itself, yeah, right? Yeah, right. And yeah. I love that, right? And they're, they're subtle, but, they, they, but they're very much defined by his bass work. So, so did you adopt his one finger approach, man? <laughs> I mean, some folks don't realize that right, you know he right. he used to play with one finger. Well, you, you, that's interesting. You should note that uh, Jamerson had a lot of uh, 
uh, peculiarities about him. Uh, that was one of them. Uh, but he spent a lot of time, well, I don't know how much time he spent on it, but I certainly spent a lot of time on studying his use of no notes. Ah. The, the mute, the, the, the percussive, the thing that kind of carried the in-between, including the space itself. That I, 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 I think I really, really got my lesson of space and not playing and letting the whole rhythm section, if you will, uh, move as a whole and and not just as a singular instrument. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that was one of the things like with Motown, man, because Motown had it, it. It's it's amazing when you listen to Motown, not just from from or the enjoyment of listening to it, but when you listen to it from a from an aspect of pulling the music apart, you realize that everything had its place. Oh yes, yes. I mean everything had its place. And um, I think it wasn't until what was the name of it? Uh, Living in uh, the in the shadows of Motown, yeah, the movie yeah. that came Stand, out. Standing in the shadows, standing of, in the shadows of Motown. Um, that I, I know I didn't realize that you know in some cases, man, they used two drummers. Oh yeah, absolutely. They used two drummers in some places, man, and and you know you sit back and like, wow, man. Now when I listen back to it, I hear, I hear, man, that. They they were way ahead of the way. Ahead, oh, way way ahead, ahead man. You know. Now, now you talked about your father. Your father owned a music store in D.C. And I'm not sure. I think he probably was the only African American that I know of that owned a store, owned a music store in Washington D.C. Oh yeah, yeah. My father, my father was was interesting. We we probably should spend some time on. But if I could take one step back on, on the Motown story that that it, it was so pivotal to me, uh, again, you know, it's not just listening. Listening is a very, very big part of it, but but studying, embracing, owning all of that, which I really try to do. And I, I, I take a step back and bring that up because the ultimate compliment I got to that whole process was probably about six years ago, I think, uh, the Funk Brothers oh, going okay. around mm-hmm. doing tours, right? Yeah, Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw them. So yeah. forth. Mm-hmm. And the bass player got sick. Oh. And I got a call to do it in front too. <laughs> oh, cool, man. However, I could not take it because it was it was the Fourth of July holiday. They were at the I think the Smithsonian Center or something like that. And I was an hour out on a boat ride on a fishing trip. <laughs> but but the honor will will be something that I take to my grave that, you know, many folks had heard me enough and thought enough about me and the plan and my understanding of that music to even call. So I'll, I'll go to my grave, not with a gig and a dollar, but a call. So. A call. Hey, man, yeah. a, call, a call is sometimes more important than actually doing the gig. Right. Because at least that lets you know that your name is out there. And on the right track. And on so, the right uh, track. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, you mis- mentioned my father, John Boykin. He he was uh, uh, the first and at the time the only uh, African American uh, that that had a music store. I mean, he he was a musician, but he had Boykin's Electronics, and his his primary thing was to uh, fix instruments, fix oh, the okay. musical instruments. And and oddly enough, and unbeknownst to most people, at fourteen years old, I was in the back area fixing most of you all's equipment oh, okay <laughs> i i recall um some of the top artists uh that would come through there i think uh 
the uh, staple singers came through. I remember wow, meeting it. Wow. And back then, you didn't have the complicated equipment. You had, you know, the Fender amp, the Gibson amp, the B15, and, and of course, he used to recone speakers, which. Uh, was a process of taking the guts out of and putting new ones and he was the only one in fact he was doing it for all the area stores like Zavarella's and Chuck's so we, we were the behind the scenes and I was doing much of that work again unbeknownst to most of you all I remember uh James Brown's bass players amp went out I think it was a Ampeg B15 I remember working on that so several artists like that came through and I indirectly uh, did things so so I, I mentioned earlier that um he, he played with a, a lot of the jazz greats, but he also did enough of the chitlin circuit around here, like most of us had. Yes. And, and probably that was the overdriving fact that he didn't want me to play music at all. In fact, he forbidden me to play music. <laughs> and I was, what, uh, 16 or 15 or so at the time. And I said, but Dad, they said I'm the best bass player in the world. I got to play. And as parents did back then in the, what, 60s and 70s, you didn't get to vote as a kid. You that's listened. That's right, right. That's right. Very unlike today. <laughs> but I will never forget that he said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do, son. You're not going to play music in here. And, of course, I was smarter than him, as we always are. And I chose to move out, and I moved in a two-bedroom apartment with, like, 13 other guys in a band. I think the name Ooh. of the band was The Sounds of Us. And so on any given day, if you could find a jar of mayonnaise in the refrigerator, you were doing good. So after about a month of almost starving to death, I had to go back home. <laughs> <laughs> which meant that. Yeah, which you meant. ate crow, yeah, and you, 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 you adjusted to their rules in their house, right, though you were living there. Well, let me ask you a question. Um, why do you think that your father didn't want you to go into music? Wow. Well, of course, I didn't know or understand or agreed at that point. But um, music is an incredibly challenging uh, field. Um, I would argue even more so than corporate, which I've you know been blessed to be a part of. And so much so that I will prove my point by, by saying this. I, I, I went into... Um, uh, management and then, you know, senior management and executive ranks of a top 100 company. But I did it by not having college education at the time. I, I went I went to school part time for, for like 15 years. So I was not competitive with others to go for this management job. But when when I got an opportunity to interview the the hiring manager said, well, why should I hire you for this management job? And I use several examples from the, the music business. I talked about me being a, a manager of a group. I talked about me being uh, a music director. And I emphasized the point of the challenge and the effectiveness of, of, of my style and what I was trying to accomplish. Because it's one thing if you sign the paycheck for someone, so to speak, and you can just hire fire and they have to do it. They have to come there. It's a whole nother challenge when you have to move people in the same direction. You, 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 you have a lot of creative people. You have uh, the, the people that, that often have their own opinions, their own ways of doing things, and you got to herd them all together. That, that is a tremendous challenge, and so I think I got some mileage by that. But to your point on why he didn't 
want me to be. Uh, I mean, you, you know the challenges we, we often have now with, with music. It doesn't even compare to those being black in the 60s, only being able to do a limited amount of clubs, right. working mm -hmm. under crazy conditions, smoke, alcohol, long hours, you know, not having the right equipment, no salmon, no tech. You know, it, it was just an, an awful environment to be uh, quite honest and then have to perform and be creative. So he didn't want me to be part of that. I get it. I get it. Now, at the time when you were uh, working in working in your dad's uh, 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 shop, I'm going to say shop yeah, yeah, because that's what of we the fact, yeah, 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 yeah. The, at the shop, yeah. <laughs> uh, were you aware of his significance? Absolutely not. And um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that, and I'm glad you're giving me uh, this this public uh, forum to, to to thank my father. So I will use that because. Not only was I not aware of it, and not only did I not have any appreciation to be downright honest, I hated it at the time. Wow. wow. I absolutely hated it mm -hmm. at the time. And, and, and God rest my father, and this is my testimony. <laughs> this is my confessional. No, no, this no, is no, real no. talk. No, no, this, I, this, no, this no, 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 that's what this is. Be, because I hated it. I mean, at... at 14, 15, I'm in the shop. It's nice outside. I need to be playing baseball, playing with my friends, going to party, getting a number. Nope, I'm working on amplifiers in the back. But my father was the kind, he did everything. He painted everything. He fixed the car. He fixed this, fixed that. And guess who had to do it? I hated that. And I, you wouldn't say it out loud. Nope, you wouldn't even nope, give nope. a look. <laughs> no, no, I'd no. be toothless. But what, what I would think is when I get older, I am never doing it. I'm not going to fix it. I, I, I said to myself, I won't even have a screwdriver in my house. <laughs> I, I, I abhorred that, Glenn. But you know what? I wish he were here to say thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I, that, I, I can't say it enough because he made me what, what I am in every aspect, whether, whether it's the ability to fix my uh, furnace and save a couple of dollars, whether it's the ability to paint. And, you know, more importantly, to, 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 to coordinate, to be sensitive, to manage, you know, to analyze all, all of those soft skills that really allow you to uh, be successful. Right, right. Um, you know, because I, I, my dad was somewhat the same way. And I kind of look at it sometimes, I'm like, if there's one thing that he did was that he he he, he instilled in me um, not to get over the fear of getting your hands dirty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I'm just saying, like, yeah. not getting your hands dirty. Yeah, at least try it. You <laughs> have nothing try. to lose. Yeah, you yeah, you, yeah, you yeah, learn, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, man. It's a shame we don't have uh, values and, and, and mentors and, you know, leaders in that, at least not to the extent that we need it, right? I'm right. sure there, there are a lot of great work doing out there, but I, I see such a deficit, and I, I do what I can and, and share what I can to hopefully fill that gap. Uh, now, there was a time you and I had an earlier conversation. Um, we had a conversation um, where you mentioned how your father's store was affected by the 1968 riots. Oh, yeah. Oh, can you share that story? Man, you're telling our age, but uh, <laughs> we, yeah, we're, we're definitely going back in the 60s there. Uh, yeah, I, I recall that, uh, first of all, he was uh, 
at 1014 K Street, 11th and K, which, by the way, I have to go out of my way when I'm downtown to not drive by there because the monstrous building that they have sitting on that corner, mm-hmm. I looked at the tax record, was $2 billion with a B. Right. And no, I'm not rich. I'm not flashy. I didn't get any of that because my father was self-employed. He was he, he got very, very ill with prostate cancer. Go get it checked. Right. I had prostate cancer. Go get it checked. I'm doing well. But he, he, he became very ill. We had to sell the business. We needed all the money and then some to uh, seek medical care. Obamacare wasn't around in the 60s, right? That's right. So, That's right. so, so anyway... Yeah, doing doing the riots, and I bring that up because uh, he, he he's asking about the the riots and the uh, and the uh, downtown area was was one of the center of the riots, and it was primarily white businesses there. So the way we um, uh, prevented or minimized the the looting and the uh, and the damage uh, was to write Soul Brother on on the uh, the window, and. Because we were one of the uh, only blacks in there, we, we spelled Soul Brother, S-O-U-L. Well, I think some of the other white businesses got, got wind of that and were spelling it S-O-L-E. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to say, they aren't around during that time. We were the only structure still standing during that time. So uh, that was that was kind of funny, too, but uh, it yeah. was very interesting. That's what I was going to ask. Looking back at the time, were you were you aware of the gravity of the situation? No, I I can't say that that I was not not that I knew at all. I I, I would like to sit here and testify to how a, a a good scholarly kid and aware, but but I wasn't. I wasn't bad, but I was just in my one little lane, and that's all that mattered, right? Uh, I'm I'm just happy and, and thankful that I think without me knowing it I just became more of a sponge and 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 mm-hmm. now, now now that that I think about it and you're asking me I, I think I'd have to attribute that to, to my father too because his whole demeanor was why or why not and he he would use those words but he would actually live those words more right it, it you, you could you could see wills turning. And I often use this parable to someone else, like I'm talking to Glenn. Yeah. You can yeah. see, you can see the world wheels <laughs> turning, right? And 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 no, but we, we laugh and I joke with him about that. But that that is a very very important part of um, uh, the learning cycle. In fact, uh, I, I've also uh, dubbed Glenn, and I, and I will uh, say this about my father. I think he was an empath. That, that to me is a word that is 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 underused because. Is, is underused and it's underutilized because it's one thing knowing something, it's another thing being sympathetic about something, and it's a whole new world when you can be empathetic where you can live that through the person's shoes and eyes. You understand, you feel where they feel, right? You get to finish their sentences and they do yours. I, I think that is such a key part of life and even more so music because my job is to make you feel good as a musician but I don't do it by playing bass I do it by being part of an overall music statement 
and I okay. play a note and hand it to you and you hand it to the next and collectively we have the chemistry that you in the seat don't know why but it feels good man right right and that's my goal that's what James Jameson used to do to me yeah yeah. You didn't know why, but it's like man, that Motown sound. You can't tell exactly. It was just that sound. It was a sound. Oh, man. man. It, was it was that sound. feeling. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I, I, I like to think, think even when you when talk about myself, um, I like to, to absorb. Right. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I like to absorb yeah. everything around me and, 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 and be a part of those things, um, be it positive or negative. Yeah, that's the that's the problem when you absorb things. But even but but in all situations, just try to say try to see what is what's real. Right. What right. is the real thing? Right. Here? What's really going on? What's really happening? Said or not said? Yeah. yeah. yeah what's really going on? Um, so you said that you worked for IBM. Uh, how long did you work there? I did forty years there. How many years? I did four zero. Now, how did I do this? 40. 40. 40. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> 40 yeah, it's hard, years, it's hard for me to believe. But, uh, you, you know, I, I worked in uh, field capacities. And, and I will say that IBM was one of the first pioneers in this uh, work, home, life balance thing. So all they were interested in is getting the job done. Right. So okay. when, when I finished gigs at 2 or 3 in the morning, I would go do what I needed to do, particularly when I was in management and so forth. Um, so it, it was, it, it created the balance that I needed to be able to do both. And it often was a challenge because uh, not that I'm bragging about it, but it, it, it probably set the stage for me being okay with two, three hours sleep a night, which I still do. And again, I'm trying to get out of it, but I've, I just operate on minimum. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your work ethic at IBM carry over into your music? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I wish I wish every musician, or at least the, the key ones that, that choose to, to lead in any kind of capacity, whether it's, you know, promoter, manager, music director, agent, when, when you lead and guide people, people are expecting your leadership my my wish would be that they have some level of exposure to uh, a, a business environment, a non-musical business environment. And, and I say that because, uh, and to answer your question more directly, that working for IBM gives you an appreciation for moving a product or moving mm. a service. Okay. And we often, for, for valid reasons, focus on the creative side. Yes, we do. I and agree. Un mm -hmm. Unless you love hearing yourself and want to make a CD for your grands and great grands, and that's the extent of it, you need to understand how your product or service will be consumed. You need to know and understand things about the market and market analysis and the impact. Your competitors, you need to understand things about pricing and advertisement, promotions, and I could go on and on, but trust me, they have great minds in corporations like IBM and others to understand market share. Mm -hmm. And and I, I'll, I'll, I won't bore you with all of it, but the, but the quick equation is we play, we want to get paid a good competitive price. We want to be hired. We, we, we want the best for our hard work. We work very, very hard. 
And when you extrapolate all that, you don't want it to come out and say, well, what I got paid is $7.52 an hour. <laughs> and and right. do the math. You will right. find that in some cases we're working less than that. So if, if you buy into the, the, the market and being able to grow the market and grow your return on your investment and, and all these are the, the ROI, all that stuff is, is, is part of this equation. But when, when you do those things and you, you break it all the way down to who comes to shows, why do they come to shows? How often do they come to shows? Where do they come to shows? I mean, you get into all kind of spending and, and um, uh, participation algorithms that tell you what you need to do. And so if you take just a fraction of the time that we spend on the creative side to understand those things, you, you'll be surprised some relatively small adjustments you can make to capture that and still be able to make your creative statement because that that's often the that that's often the conflict we have well i want to play this or i want to be this kind of musician and i'm not sure if i care if these people like it or not well <laughs> that's going to run real short like at when rent time comes well, you know, I, I think with a lot of lot of us, and and I and I, I tell I, I will say this that musicians, you know, we we are and you're right. We're very artists. We're artists. Yeah, we're artists. We create. And, and when it comes to that business side, it's like, well, uh, I think I have an idea what yeah, to nah. do. And well, I'm going to buy a book. And, and and yes, you can buy a book. But when you really break it down and start getting into the analytics, the analytics of how how this how how a machine, how, how this whole thing marketing machine or or this whole thing of being an artist, it's that's really just a very small part of it. It's a very very small part, very and, small and we part. don't understand it. We we think we're the because no. we and, and it don't work that <laughs> it way. Work that it way. don't work that way no. at all. I, I, I tell you what, I, I'll give you um, uh, two pieces here. One, who in the world does not know about McDonald's or Pepsi, Coca, Coca Cola? Yet you see all kind of creative advertising promotions all the time. You you have to do a piece of that. You cannot just just let that go. And and you know we. We, we spend way too, I won't say too much time on the creative. We just don't spend enough time on delivering the product or delivering the package. And, and, and again, the package is often not just you as an individual. I, I see very, very few. I, I don't even want to say a Stevie Wonder because, you, you know, I mean, he you don't see him doing a solo thing. And unless you're doing kind of a cocktail solo thing, which I would argue and, and I know it's debatable, may have limitations in, in the creative stuff you may want to do and or in, in the money. It's hard to do a solo thing, right? So my, my point is, it's usually a, a group statement. So you, you got to understand it from, from that aspect. I hope you've enjoyed part one of my conversation with Deginal Boykin. I'd like to thank Rob Malatik for providing the background music for this episode. If you'd like to know more about Rob and his music, go to www.robmalatik.com. That's www.robmalatik.com. And for more episodes of the Musician's Real Talk podcast, 
you can go to my website, www.glendouglasmusic.com. That's www.glendouglasmusic.com. And remember, music is God's gift to the world. It is not your invention. Thank you.